Hey, listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this show are my own. They are not intended to represent my employer, any institution, any guests of this show, or even yourself. The content here is for informational or entertainment purposes only. If you hear something on this show that makes you want to change something in your life, I suggest you find an expert, a licensed professional. Change is hard. You need help. Go get it. Welcome to Ben on Purpose. My name is Ben. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a good week since our last episode, since my last episode, I guess it was our, because I had my friend Aubrey Vinky on with me and thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. I got some good feedback about the interview, what's a, what's a good word for it? Um, format, I guess, style, uh, deep dig on a on one particular Topic, so I'll be looking to do a little bit more of that in the future with some other friends of mine, including bringing Aubrey back at some point. So thanks for listening to that episode. If you did, if you haven't yet, I encourage you to go listen to it. It's called Drawing Lines, and it's all about art in our society today, how we consume it, maybe how we create it. And that episode got me thinking a lot about what... Uh, how we see ourselves, what our role is in our own communities and cultures. Are we, are we creators of our culture or are we consumers of our culture? Or maybe we're all some of both, but what percentage, what percentage of that are we? Where do you lie in that if you, if you think about your life? Are you creating more things than you are consuming or are you consuming more things than you're creating? And if you are primarily a consumer, do you pay any attention to the actual things that you consume? Anyway, my time with uh, my friend Aubrey got me thinking about those kind of things, and so those will be topics that we will likely broach in the near future. So I encourage you to be thinking about it. Do I create more than I consume, or is it the other way around? But for today, I think I want to talk about, well, not I think, I know because I've thought about it before right now. Um, I want to talk about anxiety and stress. And I, and I don't want to talk about it in a way where we go about attempting to fix your anxiety and stress uh, necessarily. Because I think if you just use the Google machine and type, and type those very things into there, you'll find there is no lacking supply of suggestions on how you should reduce, not produce, also produce, but reduce your anxiety and stress, stress and anxiety. Instead, what I want to do today is share with you uh, an image that I utilize when I think about my own uh, stress and anxiety. And the image relates to my time as a, a guy that ran the IT at a former place of employment of mine. Um, so in this, and my hope would be that in giving you this image, maybe this is something you can latch on to that might, that might help you. I'm not proposing it as a solution for everybody, nor am I, nor am I proposing it's 100% thorough in its application for everyone. But I tend to think and run my life in terms of, of images. I look for parallels to draw, I guess, that analogy to, and that helps me navigate a lot of things. So I'm going to share that with you today, uh, and hopefully maybe some of you will find it helpful. 
Additionally, my hope would be in this season of uh, gathering things. This is definitely a consuming season, even though you might create some things. In general, this entire season is built for consumption. So part of my hope in doing this today would be that it might help us all walk into this season of consumption, maybe with a little bit different image uh, in our minds. And maybe that image might help us navigate some of the complexities of this time that creates some of these stresses and anxieties. So here we go. I've run into a number of people in the last seven days who have brought up uh, anxiety as a as a current problem for them, or or maybe a a temporary feeling that they're having right now, and they didn't necessarily come to me to ask me to solve that for them. Uh, by any means, but they did share it with me, and I think it's something I can certainly relate to. I imagine it's something you can relate to, that seasons in our life uh, produce significant stresses and anxieties. Sometimes they're very obvious. You know, there's the big rocks in life of uh, terrible things that happen to us or to the people around us or in the world. Um, There's also good things like uh, moving to a new city or getting a new job or just changing jobs in general, Uh, getting married, getting divorced, going through illness. You know, there's, there's a million things that produces that produce high levels of stress and anxiety. Uh, One of those things that doesn't typically get looked at is, is just seasons. Uh, Different seasons can produce different things and different people. And so maybe that's where, where you're at today. But Regardless, I ran into a number of people this week where the topic of stress and anxiety came up um, as a, man, I'm just feeling some more of it right now, or uh, I wish I had some better tools to, to put with this to, to help manage it, or you know, a number of different conversations that centered around this. And so I wanted to share with you one of the, the mental tools I guess I utilize in order to help myself with this. That being said, before we jump into that, I do want to give the disclaimer. It ain't like I figured it all out. Um, Stress and anxiety is a real thing in my life, for sure. Uh, I have good days. I have not as good days. Uh, That that, that right there is my my optimism attempting to overcome my pessimism. When I say I have good days and not as good of days, that is maybe not generally how I feel. I don't think that optimistically, but trying to use better language uh, to help with my own stress and anxiety. And so I do want to be clear. It's not like I've solved this uh, by any stretch. Uh, I want you to know I, I fully relate to your stresses and anxieties of, of some of those very things that I just named. And I am not proposing that I have all the solutions. Um, okay, so disclaimer out of the way. Uh, here's, the, here's sort of the image I want, wanted to give it all of you. So there's this lovely word that has shown up in our lexicon here as of late um, called triggered. Uh, We probably, for the most part, all kind of know what that means. But uh, so when I think triggered, I don't necessarily think in it in uh, the current cultural norm of that word and cancel culture and all the things that kind of go along with with all of that. When I say triggered, I just mean uh, something starts. And so uh, there is some parallels in how that's being used today. But when I say triggered, I just mean a starting point, a beginning point. Um, uh, So what do I mean by that? I just mean 
if I walk out my door today and and I see a dog that I recognize, there's a good chance that seeing that dog is going to trigger many memories I've had with that dog if that dog is familiar to me. So uh, that would be a starting point. Seeing that dog would be a starting point for my brain starting that mechanism of memory. That is what I mean by triggered. And so when I think about stress and anxiety in my life, I generally look at it or, or ask myself how many things are being triggered right now? How many things are being set off, set in motion right now in my life? Do I have new work projects? Is there a new family dynamic going on? Are there new family activities going on? Is it a holiday season? Is my checklist very, really long? Does my house need work? Like what, what are the things that are at these starting points in my life right now? And as those things mount, I have to ask myself, what are they causing in me. So as my list grows, what is it triggering me? Each one of those individual things triggers something in me. For example, if on my list of things to do is fix my house in some way, that triggers in me a couple different things. It triggers financial stress uh, in my mind going, how in the world am I ever going to pay for more stuff or stuff that I didn't expect to have to do? It also triggers anxiety in the in the sense of I don't particularly like working on my house so now I know I'm going to be in another situation where I don't feel all that confident about myself and and I'm not sure that I will actually know how to do it or I may have to ask for more help with it which then would might trigger relational anxiety like there's a number of things in that one task that my mind is going to go that task equals stress and anxiety and there can be many tasks that trigger those very same things uh, on that list of things that are going on in my life or things I have to do. And there's the other side of the spectrum can also be positive things. If, if our family has a trip coming up, while there may be some anxieties in the logistics of that thing, for the most part, I'm very excited about the, the, that coming up. And so the anticipation of this thing coming uh, also produces some level of stress and anxiety in me, not in the sense of because I think everything is going to go bad or feel bad or go wrong necessarily. Uh, stress and anxiety don't have to be associated with you know, f- uh, feelings of failure or falling. Uh, uh, those feelings may just be associated with uh, I can't wait to get there. So I have I have some of this like just state of agitation. I'm in a I'm in a let's go, let's go, let's go uh, kind of feeling. So even the good things on my list uh, can produce stress and anxiety in me. And when I l- lump all of these things together, what you get is is Ben on a daily basis. <laughs> um, sometimes that ball of stress is smaller. Sometimes that ball of stress is enormous. Sometimes it's made of. Uh, only seemingly bad things or challenging things. Sometimes it's made of uh, great things, but it, it sort of shrinks and grows dependent on the season, dependent on my health, dependent on the length of my list, dependent on how much I care about the things on the list, dependent on how it's going to affect me. Um, and that list is going to jostle me around on a daily basis. So another thing I know about myself, maybe you can relate to this, about that list of things that causes me those feelings is 
that until those things are checked off the list, they are going to continue to cause me stress and anxiety unless I do something about them. Now, here's the problem for me is I'm a procrastinator. That's just my, my personality. My personality, I mean, I don't have to define procrastination for you probably. In fact, uh, uh, statistics might show that most of you are procrastinators too. Um, so I probably don't have to define that, but for me, what that looks like is, yeah, I just put off things that I'm not excited to do. Um, and for the most part, I get them done. And for the most part, I get them done fairly well, but I get them done at the expense of myself, the expense of my mental health, the expense of the stress on my body. And, and nine times out of 10, uh, that's unnecessary and undue stress. I could have completely avoided it had I just not procrastinated with it. Instead, what I have a tendency to do is just let them all keep running, all keep going through my head together in unison for as long as it takes to get everything done. And that is what wears me out. So years ago, I was uh, managing um, uh, IT projects uh, for one of my employers in Atlanta. And and that meant, well, not only IT projects, but all the equipment and, and, you know, the computers, the low voltage wiring, the media rooms, things like that. And so I had a lot to do with our staff. We had a staff of, I don't want to exaggerate um, or, I don't know, I'll estimate. I want to say it was, it was maybe 120, I don't know, something like that. Maybe 120 users, whether they were full-time staff, I can't remember anymore. But we had about 120 users, and so part of the role was to help them keep up with their equipment and their software and teach them how to use things well. And when we had uh, switchovers to new uh, databases or whatnot, then I would help uh, do the switch in the background as well as train the staff on certain things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, keep up with everybody. So uh, anybody who's ever been in a role like that knows that you, you seem to spend most of your time putting out fires um, usually related to equipment and, uh, you know, copiers, uh, all the stuff in the, in the main room, individual computers, printers, et cetera, copiers and printers for whatever reason, just break way too frequently. I, I'm pretty sure it's a gimmick in order to make more money off you. It's incredible how much they break. So I spent a lot of time doing that, but with individual users, uh, what I spent the most time with was their bogged down computers. Uh, you know, so anytime uh, an employee would have a computer that's working slow, then my job became going over there and seeing what was going on, obviously seeing what was wrong. And while every now and then it, it would be a bigger problem, like a virus that was downloaded or a ransomware or... Uh, you know, something crashing or whatever, uh, while those things did happen, uh, by and large, the biggest problem people had with their computers was uh, too many programs open, too many emails open, trying to do too many things at once, and uh, the computer eventually goes, look, I can't work like this. And so maybe you already see where I'm going, and, and maybe you've already heard the point of the entire uh, episode uh, in that example, but uh, allow me to illustrate <laughs> a little bit better. Um, so I had to I had to figure out a way to try and teach our staff, really just certain staff, but to teach our staff 
what they're doing to their computer in their day-to-day operation of it. And, and what I found is there's a lot of parallels to draw probably with our lives. And so the way I would, I would get them to think about it is this, is, is think about the inside of your computer um, and, and that it houses all these electronics that are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, it, and within those electronics, it, hire, it houses all these softwares, these things that you use every day, everything from your main desktop uh, software package to every individual application that you use and access on a day-to-day basis. All that, all that stuff is in there. And when it's off, it is all still. It is all quiet. Uh, it's not being requested to do anything. It is simply in a uh, rest mode, if you want to call it that. It's really not in a rest mode. It's a it's an inanimate object. It's just not doing anything. There's no power or energy being given to it. So when you start it up, uh, that's its first instruction. When you hit that power button, you are allowing energy to flow into that machine, and it is starting up a portion of its capabilities and getting ready to roll. It's it's warming up. It's firing that first uh, desktop application so you can interact with it. It is preparing itself for use. And man, these days, way better than it was even 20 years ago. It, it Powering up a computer nowadays, well, at least an Apple computer. I haven't used other versions in a, in a decade or so here, but um, they come on almost instantaneously. Uh, you, you essentially can't even like hear any of those things running in the background anymore. Whereas it used to be like turning on an old guitar amp, you could like hear everything powering up and whirring and spinning and making all kinds of noises until it was done. It used to take anywhere from two to seemingly 10 minutes for your computer to be ready to use. Now it's pretty much two to 10 seconds. Therefore, we're even less prone to see that it's actually already doing something. So when we engage with our computers, before we start one of our applications, for whatever reason, I think we look at that and just think, well, it's in a state of rest now, and it's just waiting for me to do something. And the reality is is there's a whole bunch of stuff running in the background just to keep this one interface up in front of you. That's running quietly, so you don't really hear it, but it's running like, like crazy, uh, working very, very hard to be prepared for whatever it is that you want to do next. So here's what people would do at, at my previous place of appointment is a lot of them would then launch into their first application. Okay. Now I'm not saying it works like this every time, but just bear with me. It works like this sometimes is they open that first application and it's a big one. It's probably the main one. It's, it, you know, our, our main financial software or whatever, whatever the thing is that most people were on. They would fire that thing up, uh, you know, double click it and watch it go. And then since it's big, it's going to take a minute. So while I'm waiting, I'm also going to fire up my email application. And and these days, uh, I'm also going to fire up my messages application. And maybe I'm going to open my internet. And maybe I'm going to even open a Netflix. Who knows? But typically what happens is if any application takes longer than about two seconds to open, you're probably going to click on yet another thing in order to open it. And depending on the capability of your computer, it may handle that just fine. Uh, It may may handle it a little bit slower, but you're okay with it, or it may bog down everything. Typically, back then, the computers I had running for most of these folks, you know, could handle 
three, four, five applications being open at once, so long as, as they all weren't memory heavy. If I'm opening an AutoCAD application, then the other applications on my computer that I'm run, running, especially if I'm doing any sort of 3D modeling software, the other applications need to be fairly small. I'm probably not with the systems we had working at a nonprofit. I probably did not have the capacity to have full AutoCAD open, full Photoshop open, you know, in a full uh, video recording software open at the same time. While I could open them, as soon as I started to use something, they would all pretty much crash. But the average user, even back then, seemingly could have you know one big application and three or four kind of smaller ones running at the same time, no problem. But then, if I started to dig into what was going on, <laughs> uh, I would go into any of these particular programs, take like the email program, for example, and I uh, routinely would find that people have uh, dozens of their emails open at any given time, as opposed to opening one, dealing with it, going to the next, dealing with it. Uh, uh, some folks would just have like all their emails open, and then within the other programs, multiple files open, and then in the other programs, even more multiple files open, and that is how they worked on a daily basis and sometimes the thing would crash and so the image that I w was trying to give people is think about your computer as a body you know you're that it's you're starting it up uh, it's it's waking up it's got to like get itself to a resting state and then I want you to picture every time you click on a software and double click that thing and start that application I want to I want you to picture that you are telling that body to go run so like a distance like let's say five miles hey i need you to go down that road and run for five miles all right so you click on the first application and you launch it and you send that you send that guy five miles down the road all right now since i it's going to take a minute for that guy to get five miles down the road i am going to start another application so i got to find uh another uh, body in this case to go down to go down that road, but here's the problem is you can't find another body. You only have one body. So uh, what you actually have to do is is call that body back from that previous one you set off and say, hey, give me a piece of you because I need it to go over here so that I can start this second line as well. So now I've, now I've launched a second one, and the energy available for number one has reduced, and the energy available for number two is not its full energy. And I'm going to do the same thing for the third application and the fourth application and the fifth application. So what I've done is take the, the capabilities of this machine that I have and I've split it into five. Okay. Now, that's fine. It's a machine. It can, it can handle that. Um, but my question would be uh, for my client is, are you recognizing that that's what you're doing to it? Or are you just willy-nilly telling it to go? Because if you're recognizing that, that that's what you're doing to it, then you can work within the constraints of the box that you've set up around yourself. But if you're not thinking about it at all, you're just, you're just willy-nilly going. I don't know why I'm using willy-nilly, but you're, you're just throwing caution to the wind and going. And when that thing decides it's out of energy, it's just going to crash on you and you're not going to be prepared and you're going to lose all of your work. 
And so the point of that image for them was just to get them to understand that, look, every time you click on something on your computer, whether that's to send a print job or to open an application or to send an email or whatever the thing is to save a document, every time you do that, you are starting a process that exists within that machine. And if that machine cannot finish that process before you make it start another process, you're just uh, impeding its ability to do the thing that it was built to do at its maximum capacity. And it still might get it done. But you just need to recognize you're preventing it from performing at its peak. And then seemingly when it doesn't perform at its peak, you're blaming the machine for its lack of performance. When in reality, the person that caused the lack of the performance is sitting right there in the seat that you're complaining from. So you can probably sense the turn in the <laughs> conversation right here is I'm going to ask you that thing is, is how many uh, systems applications are you starting simultaneously? How many events in your life, how many activities, uh, how much work time, family time, uh, you time, etc., are you attempting to do all at once? And what I want to remind you of is nowhere in here uh, would I have told any of my clients or would I tell you that any of the particular things that you're doing are bad things or wrong. Um, you know, if I go back to that job, they do have to get all the work done. <laughs> they do have to use the applications that they're launching. They do have to answer emails. They do have to do all those things. However, there are a myriad of ways they can go about accomplishing all of those tasks, still be able to get their job done and do it without crashing the tools that they've been given in order to complete the job. And I think that's where we have to look at ourselves. I think we have to look at this is why I do the mirror exercise. This is why I do uh, uh, my four questions exercise and the three ways to to learn about yourself and, and all the other things that I haven't even talked about on here uh, as of yet. These are why I, I do these things is because it, we've all been handed this machine. Um, we've been given the brain that we've been given and we've been given the skills we've been given the ability to learn things and the ability to operate really smoothly and do things well and and be productive and be relied upon and 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 all the stuff that we're capable of yet almost seemingly daily we have a tendency to harpoon ourselves by not using the machine in an appropriate way what do i mean by that well, let's let me look at uh, two two personality examples, and these are going to be very broad, and so be it. I don't I don't have the time or the expertise in the room to go much deeper. Um, let me take two personality uh, uh, examples. Me, I am a by nature a pessimist. <laughs> I fight hard uh, against that uh, uh, most days. Anyway, some days I just give into it, but by nature I'm a pessimist. Um, what we like to call that is a realist. That's really just rationalization for being a pessimist, but it is what it is. And there are great things that come with being a realist or a pessimist. Uh, and I'm, and I'm happy to be it. Uh, I get stress and anxiety for sure. And 
for the most part, what I do with that stress and anxiety, uh, when I'm doing it, when I'm dealing with it in a healthy way, I am creating something. Even if it's something sad, I'm still using that energy to create. When I'm not doing it in a healthy way, what it looks like is stagnation for me. Uh, what I mean is, is I have a list of things to do, and if that list, if the length gets too long, or if the type of thing that I need to do I am not excited about, if there's too many of those on the list, instead of accomplishing the list, I will stagnate, and I will think. Okay, so is there anything wrong with thinking? No. Does some things on the list, does it matter if they get done or not? No, not really, not in the grand scheme of things. I'm not talking about feeding my family. Things like that definitely need to happen. I'm talking about there's just some stuff on the list that'd be nice to do. It's probably not going to kill you if you don't. But if I stagnate, um, what I am doing is being counterproductive to the machine I've been given here to work with in my own mind and body. The truth is what I need to do is get off my butt and start knocking some things off the list like a more optimistic person would be. Does it mean I need to change my entire personality and become an optimist? No, it doesn't. It just means I need to recognize that, that the machine that I'm in, the body and mind that I'm in, has been built a certain way, and that doesn't allow me to dismiss that there are going to be times where I have to act a different way in order to keep my stress and anxiety down. I can't just say, well, I'm a pessimist who doesn't like to do things when he's in a bad mood, so... You know, I was made this way, and so I'm allowed to just be this way. Yeah, you're allowed, but don't expect, you know, I can't expect my life to be better if I just let things sit. doesn't work that way. So sometimes I just have to get off my butt and be a go-getter and get things done. And guess what happens typically if I do that? A couple things. One is the realization that the thing that I thought was going to take me five hours and be full of stress and anxiety is usually over in 10 minutes, and then the task is done. Um, that's beyond frustrating. It happens more routinely than I care to admit. And second, I just realize I'm calmer overall. You know, you knock a few things off the list and you realize, oh, okay, well, maybe there's not as much to do as I thought uh, because in my mind I was holding everything up on my shoulders constantly at all times as opposed to having a plan to go about completing on the other end of the spectrum is the optimist uh, in the room, in the world, in the car, wherever you're listening. Uh, I live with a couple of those, <laughs> and uh, I'm jealous a lot of, of a lot of their character traits. I also work with a number of those. I'm jealous of their character traits, uh, too. They're some of the most fun people in the world to be around, and uh, they get a lot done, or at least the ones in my life get a lot done, um, because they're constantly in motion. And so a task list to uh, these people seems to not be as big of a deal. And yet, uh, optimists in general seem to carry around just as much stress and anxiety as the pessimists, in my experience. It just looks different. One of them looks like uh, brooding, seemingly. Well, that would be where my you know, uh, personality would hang out. And the other one, uh, as a, as a, as a observer an outsider looking in, the other one looks uh, to me a bit like a Tasmanian devil. It's like if the optimist is out of control energy wise, 
that might be a symptom that uh, they're experiencing large amounts of stress and anxiety versus a pessimist. The pessimist is exhibiting um, even lower amounts of energy than they typically exhibit that might be a good indicator that they're experiencing larger amounts of stress and anxiety. So the optimist has a different but similar challenge in that they experience stress and anxiety even though they're a task completer. And so uh, as a comfort, seemingly an optimist will create more tasks to do in order to distract or an attempt to distract him or herself from the things that are actually causing stress and anxiety. So if, if something's occurring that I don't like, I will just switch my attention to a different thing or a new thing. And a lot, and a lot of times it's a new thing for an optimist because new things seem fun and new and you don't have to think about them deep and hard yet because they're new. And so we switch to new things and just ignore uh, anything else that's going on that might be causing those uh, other feelings. So that person, similar to the pessimist, also has a responsibility to look at the machine that they've been given and realize, okay, this is how my machine has been built. This is how my mind and body work. And as a result of how this machine works, I experience tension, stress, anxiety in this way. So what do I need to do? And my experience would be an optimist who, who can't stop moving around has to somehow for a minute stop moving around and start processing some feelings because in, in all of that motion for however long that thing's been in motion, uh, he or she has been experiencing things that have caused feelings to occur. And in a lot of situations, uh, the feelings are never dealt, dealt with. They're just pushed aside in order to move to the next thing. And so it, that person has a responsibility to, to stop the machine for a minute and make sure that everything is operating the way it should be, that things have been processed the way it should be in order to move forward and operate at an optimal level. I think when I look around, and look, myself included, I've been on all the anxiety meds before. I've tried self-medication. I've tried exercise. I've done all these things. And I'm not saying that, that those things don't change the symptoms in some way, but, but in general, they don't solve the true issue of the anxiety. So if we go all the way back to the, the computer example, then what's the solution? Well, the solution is, isn't stop doing work. The solution is, 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 I don't know that it's in this order, but we'll, we'll make an order for the sake of an order, is A, understand the machine you've been given. Uh, in, the, in the work example, it, yeah, it's purely machine. You know, what, what is its capacity? What is its speed? What is its memory? What is it capable of? Uh, what type of mouse do you need? What's the input controllers? You know, all the things. What, what have you been handed and what is its capacity? Um, so then the second step of that, B, would be what have I been asked to do with the machine? So uh, I have the machine. The job says I have to do these things. And then C, I have to analyze is the machine I've been handed and the things I'm trying to do capable of accomplishing the task that's been given to me. 
So I would ask the same thing of you and of myself is, A, do you understand the machine you've been handed? You understand your own physiology, your own mental uh, abilities, your own capacities, your own ability to learn things, your own downsides and understanding of, of stuff that makes you hesitate or makes you sad or makes you happy or whatever the thing is. Do you understand your machine? If not, that's your first step. Understand your machine. Then B is understand what you, what's been given to you to deal with. So you got to understand you, then you got to understand what's in front of you. And when you've been handed that thing, then you got to do the C work, which is, is the machine that I've been given or the machine that I am today capable of handling all the things that have been given to me? And, and, and I have to line those two things up and then I have to start asking some hard questions and making some decisions based on the findings of that answer. And if your findings are, yes, I'm fully capable of everything that I have been handed today based on uh, the machine that I've been given, great. I would encourage you to ask some others around you if they agree. <laughs> uh, if they do, uh, either you have a bunch of yes men in your life or you're right. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe your uh, energy levels are good and you're treating your body well and you're learning, which means your brain is growing and you're applying those things in good ways. Um, but I would encourage you to ask those around you. You might be surprised at the answers or you might be doing great. That is a possibility. If you do that analysis and you think, um, uh, I don't think I'm capable of everything that's on my plate. And by capable, I, I might just mean you just don't have enough time for it. That is a, that is a possible thing. Then you have to, and this is most of us, most of us are not capable of everything that's on our list. Our list is an ongoing thing that never ends, uh, just because that's the nature of being a grown-up. Your list just gets bigger and bigger if you're responsible in any way. So most of us, the amount of stuff we've been asked to do does not match uh, the capabilities of the machine that we're operating with. So we have some work to do. We have to get into that list. Well, we have to do one of two things, or really just both. If we talk about the list, we got to look at the list and get a little more realistic. What of these things are important to me? Go back to the four questions I asked in a previous episode. What, are, what of these things are actually important? What of these things are on my list because I assume that people want them from me, but guess what? In reality, nobody has asked me to do it in any way, yet I'm just carrying it around. And what on this list uh, would build me up uh, versus tear me down? So to some extent, you just got to get you got to get right with the list. Are you paying any attention to the list? And then uh, you also got to do the same exercise with the machine. It's possible there's nothing wrong with your list, but you have not been taking care of the machine. Maybe you need to treat the machine better. <laughs> Maybe you need to treat your mind better. Maybe you need to treat your body better. Um, maybe you need to get to a place where you're better at learning things or you're getting more rest or you're watching less TV or you're reading a book every now and then or you stop eating Skittles or whatever the thing is for you. Uh, are you taking care of the machine? Because if you take care of the machine, the machine is actually capable of a lot more than you're currently giving it credit for. Uh, because if you feed the machine Skittles all day and then expect that it's going to perform uh, every afternoon uh, for you to be creative, you're kidding yourself. It's not going to happen. 
So uh, one or the two has to adjust. Either your list has to match the machine or your machine's got to match the list or somewhere in the middle we all have work to do. So let's get to work. I mean, this is, you know, why wait till New Year's? I mean, who keeps resolutions anyway? There's no real reason to keep resolutions. So, or to keep, (laughs) there are reasons to keep resolutions. There's no reason to wait until the beginning of a year to do anything. There's no reason to wait until the beginning of a day to do anything. You can start right now. But what, what are those things? When you think about your mind and your body, how could you be dealing with them better? How could you be making them healthier? What could you do less of? What could you do more of? What could you start or stop today? And when you think about your list, um, are you doing things that matter? Uh, And I'm not saying frivolous things don't matter. Sometimes frivolous things do matter. It's really not up for anyone else but you to determine, but are you doing things that matter and and that you want to do in your life? Or maybe more importantly, that you know you should do in your life. Let's do this work this month, because if you can get that mechanism working really, really well, and you can line that up with a list that is full of things that matter in your life, you'd be shocked at two things. You'd be shocked at how much you can get done on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, and you would be shocked at how much time you actually have in your life that you just can't see right now because it's filled up with things that just don't matter or aren't good for you whatsoever. So let's get moving. I hope to see you on the other end of this. I hope you uh, uh, do some of these things over the course of the next month. Please feel free to email me and let me know how things are going or fire off some questions that you want me to talk about on here. You can email me at ben at benonpurpose.com. I hope you'll come back in the next couple of weeks. I'll have another one of my friends, Patrick, on here to just discuss uh, life. He's, he's one of my friends from, from Poland and Costa Rica and has a very interesting uh, story of his own life, but uh, I'd just love to have him on here and, and talk about some interesting things. So hopefully you'll come back for that, and I look forward to talking with you then. Have a good one. This has been the Ben on Purpose podcast, and I thank you for being a part of this community. It is a rare thing these days to give our time and attention to a piece of art. However, when we do, it's also rare to walk away completely unaffected. I also know your time and attention is valuable, and I appreciate you spending it here. If you'd like to help this community grow, please subscribe to the Ben on Purpose podcast wherever you listen. Leave a rating and review and visit the website at benonpurpose.com. You can also follow me at the usual social media spaces. And if you are so inclined, you can request my time. If you are looking for assistance in your group or organization or seeking a guest speaker for your event, I am available to talk about that also. It's what I do in my life, and I'd love to do more of it. I sincerely hope you have a great day. Be kind to yourself. Yourself.